you recommended we listen to more of the monkeys, and I've listened to it for months. And I listened to it once yesterday. Welcome to Spin It. Buddy, welcome back to Spin It, the record ranking podcast for people who would rather be listening to music. I'm James, and with me is Connor. That's me. And we are your hosts, if you didn't figure that out by now. This week, we're bringing you another listener-recommended episode. We're talking about the monkeys. The recommendation wasn't too specific and just said, talk about the monkeys. And, uh, and so I decided to go with more of the monkeys because it features... Because we already have enough, you know, we need more monkeys than just the two of us, right? <laughs> sure, yeah. We, we just need more of them. But this one features a couple of their most popular songs. So I thought this would be a great place for us to jump in. I, to be honest, I hadn't listened to much of the monkeys before we got this recommendation. I knew they were out there. I'm a big Beatles fan. And as a Beatles fan, the monkeys always felt moderately insulting. Yeah? Yeah, well, yeah, they always just kind of seem like a like a Beatles clone. You know what I mean? Like a made-for-TV Beatles. That's at least how I perceive them. Hmm. The four-person boy rock band with the mop tops, they really, you know... That was the misconception before I knew much about them. And it's not entirely alleviated. I still kind of think that that's definitely a direction that they took. But you know how it is. What do you know about the monkeys? Not really too much. No? No. I've heard some of their songs. I've heard some of the songs on this album even. But I'd be surprised if you actually... I would call you a liar if you said you hadn't heard any of the songs on this album. <laughs> I could confidently say you are a liar because we'll get there. But let me tell you, let me teach you a little bit about the monkeys. That's monkeys with two E's, by the way. Don't you go thinking that's monkeys with a Y. That is probably a different band. But they both like bananas. Do they? They might, I guess. The monkeys were a Los Angeles rock band, and they formed in 1966. And they've honestly, they've got one of the more interesting and tumultuous backstories that we've talked about so far. And I, I started researching it, and it turned out to be way more of a dig than I expected. So I'm kind of excited to get into it and tell you the backstory behind this band that I, frankly, had no idea about. The, the band members in The Monkees were Mickey Dolenz, who sings and plays the drums. Davy Jones does the vocals, the guitar, and the bass, and also just plays the tambourine a lot. Michael Nesmith was the guitar, piano, and vocals. And then Peter Tork played a lot of things. <laughs> The bass, the organ, the guitar, banjo, the vocals. He was a real multi-instrumentalist, as, you know, a lot of good bands have. We're going to go a little bit out of our usual order today. You'll see why when we get into the band's history, but we're, we're kind of mixing things up a little bit. So let's start out with the Monkees' awards and their achievements. They picked up four Grammy nominations in 1967 and 68 for Last Train to Clarksville and, of course, I'm a Believer from this very album. The Monkees were inducted into America's Pop Music Hall of Fame in 2014 and the Vocal Group Hall of Fame in 2007. And for their 50th anniversary back in 2016, the Music Business Association awarded them with an Outstanding Achievement Award. They were actually so big and so successful at their pinnacle that they were the headliners for the Jimi Hendrix experience in 1967. I said that correctly. Jimi Hendrix opened for the Monkees. In fact... It was Jimi Hendrix's first U.S. touring experience, which is very interesting. Even though 
he had to leave the tour early because he was a bit too sexual and not quite the vibe for the monkey's usual audience. You know, they kind of drew in a younger crowd, the fangirls kind of, right, who were going through monkey mania. And Hendrix was not exactly for that crowd. But so with that all out of the way, knowing where the band will eventually go, let's take a look at where they started. The band came about from a concept for a sitcom, a TV show. It was created by Bob Rafelson and Burt Schneider, and it was about a band, about this band, trying to become a well-known rock band. And then would go on all sorts of these bizarre and surreal and psychedelic adventures on their journey to, you know, make it to the top. The show ran for two seasons, putting out 58 episodes between 1966 and 1968, and the show actually won two Emmys. When they were pitching the show, the initial idea was to cast an existing band, something like The Love and Spoonful, who you might know for their song, Do You Believe in Magic? But eventually, you know, they kind of scrapped that idea. They decided they just wanted to create a band from scratch. So more than 400 different actors showed up to audition for the roles of the monkeys, which is just a backwards way to make a band, kind of, based on everything we've talked about so far. You know, we, we haven't had an artist like this yet that's been put together methodically. But out of those 400 actors, the four that ended up in the band are the ones that we just talked about, Dolans, Nesmith, Torque, and Jones. And the show was inspired by films like A Hard Day's Night by the Beatles, which is kind of why I say they're a little bit like a Beatles clone in some ways. They just kind of, the idea was piggybacking off of that success. But each band member kind of had a personality that they were to take on in the show, which was meant to parallel a lot of the Beatles things. Dolan's was the funny one, the kind of wild and out of left field one. Nesmith was the serious straight man. He was the deadpan guy. Torque was the airhead, kind of the out of touch one. And then Jones, his role was to be the cute one with the, you know, floppy long hair and stuff. It was a pretty revolutionary series as it included a lot of then unfamiliar techniques, right? Like jump cuts. It included meta elements like fourth wall breaks, all kinds of improvisation. And they actually, they would feature a song in each of their episodes for a kind of built-in music video before the music video format was huge like we know it now. So it's interesting. I actually, in preparation for this episode, I did watch an episode of the Monkees TV show and it does have all that stuff. There, there's some fun little lighting effects that they do. There are weird characters that are like Martians, which are actually just people with like pantyhose over their heads. They they did fourth wall breaks and weird stuff. It was just a time. I would recommend taking 20 minutes and watching an episode of the show because it was very interesting. And it was actually, it inspired other TV sitcoms along the way, especially with these revolutionary techniques that they introduced, including some big ones like Miami 7 in the 90s and Nickelodeon's Big Time rush in the late 2000s which is a very similar concept so the band gets put into this show they're making music kind of there were a lot of outside songwriting contributions from the brill building right you remember tin pan alley where everyone would go make pop songs back in the day uh yeah yeah where we talked did we talk about that on barry manilow we talked about it we talked about it a couple times i think barry manilow was our most recent it might have come up in michael buble too i don't know anyway you get the idea it's the the croony type of pop songs the the tin pan alley the brill building stuff all these writers were looking to capitalize on this new British invasion style of rock music. So they're importing a lot of songs for the Monkees TV show. And beyond that, the Monkees didn't even play on a lot of their first records. They pretty much just came in to do vocals. And even then, they goofed off so much that they could barely even be at the same recording sessions with each other because they would start making each other laugh and goofing off and just getting off task. 
zero tracks on their self-titled debut record, which is, you know, the Monkees. Zero tracks feature all four members, <laughs> not one of them. <laughs> so they didn't write these songs. They hardly played these songs. Like, what even is this band when they start out? That's, that's you know, their background. And then we get into this next era, their second album, More of the Monkees. If you haven't heard it, it's a quick listen. It's what we're talking about today. Just 12 tracks. It might be worth worth checking out. It came out in 1967, and it's that same kind of British invasion, pop rock, psychedelic, classic rock, but not really like psychedelic in the same way as Janis Joplin or Jimi Hendrix, who toured with them, would be. It's a little more, like, dry than that, right? So the TV show's taken off, but the band's first album is outperforming the show. It's like doing better than the TV show. So the studio says, listen, we need to sell more music. That should be the focus here. We should we should push out music since that's what's selling, and the show could maybe take more of a backseat. So enter Don Kirshner, the head of music at Screen Gems, the company that was producing the TV show. The monkeys are starting to get agitated with this process, and because they can't write or record their own music, they're getting really like frustrated with that process. So Kirshner even decided to take it further, and he moved the recording process out of Los Angeles entirely and all the way to New York. So the band literally just got completed tracks. Like, they just received the finished track, and they just said, sing to this. That's literally all it was for a while. Eventually, though, they did start playing and recording together, but that stuff wasn't the stuff that made it onto the records. In November of 1966, More of the Monkees comes out. It's chock full of these older tracks the band did with their session musicians. And the kicker is that the band did not know that this album was coming out. They were on tour when they learned the album had been released. They literally just didn't even realize that the album had been put together at all. The album cover was taken from a promo shoot that they did for a JCPenney, of all places, if you can believe it. They were not happy. Everything that they had suggested, their track listing ideas... All their, their plans, they were just ignored, and they were so frustrated, they would claim that this album was, quote, probably the worst album in the history of the world. As the story goes, the band actually met with Kirshner's lawyer at the Beverly Hills Hotel, future room service provider for Barry Manilow, and basically they were presented with royalty checks and gold records. <laughs> like, they showed up to this meeting and they said, hey, we put out this album on your behalf, here's what we owe you. <laughs> it's bizarre. So Michael Nesmith gets riled up. He's so mad that this album just existed without them that he straight up punches a hole in the wall and he yells to Kirshner, that could have been your face. So, you know, the guy's just trying to do his job, you know? <laughs> he was probably not expecting this kind of pushback. But basically, it's a critical point after a lot of years of mounting tension for the band. After this album came out, they were, in fact, able to negotiate their contracts so that they could record their own instruments and they had a lot more creative control in the future. Kirshner was released, actually, after he broke a contract with Cold Gems, and he released more Monkees music without permission. Like, the contract said stop, and he was like, yeah, but what if I didn't? And he did it anyway. So that's wild. Drama aside, though, this album was huge for the Monkees. To date, it's proven to be their biggest success, supported, of course, by the tentpole hit I'm a Believer. More of the Monkees topped the Billboard 200 longer than 
any other Monkees album, holding the position for 18 weeks. Between this and their debut record, they topped the chart for 31 straight weeks, which is just wild. Like, that's more than half a year. It also topped the charts in Canada, Finland, Norway, and the UK, and it's been certified quintuple platinum in the United States for selling more than 5 million copies. It was actually very revolutionary, genre-wise, because it was the first album that was classified as pop rock that managed to be the best-selling album of the year in 1967. It it broke that barrier. So suffice it to say, it's a different kind of album from a very different kind of band. And I think that makes it a, a very interesting one to talk about. And it makes the band a very interesting subject for Factor Spin. That was my cue, wasn't it? It was. Yeah, it was. <laughs> It's me. Sorry, who's this? Oh, it's me, the mixtaper. Sorry. I'm sorry. You just said it's me. I just didn't know who was on the other end of the line here. Hi, mixtaper. Welcome back. Excited to be back. I'm sure you are. Episode 56. Has it been 56 episodes already? I guess it has. Well, not yet. This is still 56. Well, the test episode. Yeah, 56 already. Yeah, the test episode really makes the math department have to work some overtime. By adding one occasionally. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. I guess it would. Have you looked up uh, some some fun monkeys facts? Absolutely not. Oh. Oh, I mean, uh, maybe. Hmm, something tells me we <laughs> might have some spins this week. Who knows? We will see. Maybe this is all mind games. Ooh. If you give me facts about actual monkeys, like the animal, I'll be a little upset. If they're all that way. Just give me about five minutes. No, if they're, uh... if they're, if they're all that way. One or two of them I can stand, because I, I would love to learn about monkeys and the animal. I thought about doing that, but I was too predictable doing it with... Uh... What are you talking Wait, wait, I never would have seen it coming. What? I said I never would have seen it coming. It's not too predictable. You, know, you just asked me not to do it. <laughs> that doesn't... You never would have seen it coming. <laughs> I. That's, you know, that's a technicality. I was too predictable. You... you you saw right through me when I did that with uh, with the swan fact. I mean, I'll point out I still missed the trumpeter swan thing. I did still get that wrong. Yeah, only because I psyched you out. That's true. Well, let's get right into it. Maybe these are true about real monkeys. Maybe they're not, you know? <laughs> Who's to say? Who's to say? My first one is that the band is banned from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They're, they're banned? Yeah. Not banned from, like, being inducted. Banned from being there? Uh, from being inducted. Okay, not this isn't like a San Diego Zoo fact where they just shouldn't ever show up. They aren't allowed to be in the hall. Why? Why is that? Are there rules that prohibit them from being eligible? Well, according to Peter Tork, it's due to an abuse of power. Okay, not the band abusing their power, right? Surely he no, thinks no. this is the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame abusing their own power. Specifically, Jan S. Winner. So what do he do? Yeah, Jan S. Winner is a founder of both the Rolling Stone magazine and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And he overrode a vote on whether or not they were supposed to be in the Hall of Fame, I guess. Really? Because he felt that their lack of playing their own instruments and the fact that they were hired as actors and not musicians means that they shouldn't count, I guess. Very interesting. Because, I mean, like we just talked about, they did eventually do that. That's, yeah. that's wild. So they were voted in and then shot down. Why? Like, when did this happen, first of all? Well, I think the vote was in 2019. Wow! Oh, that's so recent. Yeah, because I see the Monkees uh, were an overwhelmingly favorite fan favorite band to be inducted. They received 46% of support in a poll and a bunch of other stuff. So it's like like it was like for like the 2019 version, they were gonna maybe be inducted, and then Jan stepped in and was like, ah ah ah. Wild. I I think that's bizarre. Yeah. So will they? They're they're banned. 
banned. Like, that's not just losing a vote. So they're just disqualified from ever being inducted. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it seems like this Jan fellow is not going to let them in as long as he has veto power. Yeah, I guess that's fair. I think this one's a fact. Think this one's a fact? I do. Yeah, we talked about how they didn't play their instruments at the start. And I mean, while they eventually did, this is just a band, I guess, where everything like that that could have gone wrong for them kind of did. And so this just seems like a fitting continuation of a cycle of bad luck that plagues the monkeys. It sucks. I mean, they probably should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for I'm a Believer alone. But uh, I think it's probably true. This is indeed a true fact. Oh, one for one. Torque even said that he wasn't sure his band deserved a spot, but he definitely felt Jan's actions were an abuse of power. Right. Like, even if they didn't deserve a spot, at least disqualify them for reasonable reasons. The committee should have disqualified them rather than one man stepping in. And abusing power. Yeah, there was some anonymous member of the of the committee who has said that Jan has completely taken over and it's the Jan winner show. Oh, interesting. Apparently people aren't happy. This was all of 2020 as well. Maybe some things have changed with Jan in the last couple of years. Who knows? But what I do have to point out is while this fact may be true about the monkeys, the band, it's also probably true for monkeys, the animal. They are banned from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So I said, maybe, maybe not. We're, we're going to see. That one was a double win. Still only worth one point. <laughs> I was going to maybe leverage that. Uh, we'll see if you want to leverage that at the end. <laughs> My next one for you, they had a giant black box on set. Okay. What was in the black box? They were. They were? Mm-hmm. Was this like a one-time gimmick? Like they popped out of it at the start of an episode? Or, or did this like, was this a regular thing? They were like, okay cut that's the scene everybody uh, get in the box yeah no that second one they kept, they just like kept them in the in the box till it was time to uh-huh. play what yep for the second season the studio created a space where the four members could hang out without their practical jokes and antics getting in the way of the shots and scenes set up so instead of ordinary trailers they had this giant black box that they could go into and play music and cause a ruckus and just do whatever they wanted it was all soundproof wow and then they had a lighting system inside that would tell them when they were needed just a little monkey containment unit (laughs) exactly that's wild so how big was this box of theirs that they they had to fool around in i could not find an actual size but it's gonna be pretty big for four adults to be able to cause a ruckus in i I mean that's true and if it was replacing their trailers it's probably at least four trailers size yeah you got a point wow i can't imagine that's gotta be like imagine just being the directors and being so fed up you go go sit in this box We filled this box with a bunch of toys. Go have fun. <laughs> right. Yeah, they really just did have to babysit them. How much time did they spend in the box? Like, I don't know what the course of filming an episode... That's where they would go in between in between shots and scenes, you know? Yeah, well, I don't know what the course of filming an episode would look like, but like, you know, maybe they'd spend, what, hours, days in there? Like, days. is it a situation <laughs> where anytime they weren't on camera, they were in the box? Or did they, like, have any freedom to, to roam around generally? I, I, I get the impression that the majority majority of their time not on camera was in the box wow <laughs> i like this i want this to be true and so you're going with fact i don't know i'm oh i am gonna go with spin go with spin yes you want it to be true but you don't think it is i think well in my head the least disruptive thing would be to have separate trailers for all of them and i'm i mean i guess it would help you keep track of them all if they stay in one location but honestly why wouldn't you just give them all like a talent escort or a handler 
just to keep an eye on them so that when it was time, you'd have a contact for where they were. I think this is probably a spin. You think? Wrong! This is a fact! The monkey box is real? The monkey box is real. Wow, that's that's bizarre. I have a hard time believing that that would work. Right. Just a nice big soundproof box is all, is all a man needs. I guess it is. Cause a ruckus. <laughs> very, very interesting. And speaking of very interesting facts, my next one for you, Michael Nesmith's mother invented correction fluid. What? What an interesting <laughs> little thing. I told you. <laughs> what a what a tidbit. His his mother invented whiteout. Yeah. I don't quite know what to ask. I mean, how'd she come up with this? Was she like a I don't know, a chemist that figured out a way to make liquid paper? Did she do a lot of writing in ink and make a lot of mistakes and try to cover her tracks? This was back in 1956. Okay. And she was working as a typist, and she wanted a way to correct mistakes. That would be, yeah, necessity is the mother of invention. So how did she do it? What she, she says, I want to correct my mistakes. Seems like a good way to do it would be to color over my mistakes. And what, what'd she do? Like seek out chemicals? Uh, yeah, she used a base of tempera paint, which uh, tempera paint is a type of like fast drying paint. Yeah. She'd put that in a blender, mix it with some other stuff and make white out. Suspicious. She called it mistake out actually at the time oh and she actually she she got all craftsy with it she put it in little bottles with the brand's name on it and would give it to her co-workers to use and so it caught on so she like has a patent for it if i google correction fluid there will maybe be a patent under mrs nesmith uh yeah assuming she patented it i know she eventually sold the idea to the gillette corporation oh in 1979 oh wow okay that was a long ways away yeah Oh, this is tough because there's no way for me to tie this back to the monkeys. What impact did this have on Michael Nesmith's life and career? Um, I don't know. Uh, in 1979, <laughs> though, when she sold it, she sold it for 47.5 million with royalties. Oh, so. wow. <laughs> That's probably got a decent impact on at least the family as a whole. I'm going to say, oh, this is tough. I'm going to say this one's a spin. Going with a spin. Yeah. Huh? Don't think Mama Nesmith was cooking up white out in a blender. Well, I think someone might have been, but there's just no way for me to tie this back to the monkeys. Although some little naggy part in the back of my brain feels like I did hear something about white out when I was doing all my research. Weird. It's well, but maybe I didn't. I don't know. I don't know if I'm just making that up. But I'm going to have to say this is a spin. All right. For the same reason that Matthew Cornbread Compton's great-great-great-grandpa did not invent the stoplight. Well, you might want to use some of... Uh, Mrs. Nesmith's white out to fix that mistake because this is a true fact. That's a fact? Wow. Yep, yep. It even says on the, if you go to the liquid paper Wikipedia page, right here it says in 1956, Betty Nesmith Graham, mother of future The Monkees guitarist Michael Nesmith, invented the first correction fluid in her kitchen. Incredible. Wow, you actually found someone with an inventor parent. I know. Great. I just didn't, I just didn't think that would exist. Yeah. Fun fact, she was apparently fired from her typist job. Um, well, sounds like she made some mistakes. <laughs> sounds like she wasn't a very good typist. She accidentally put her own company's name on a sheet of her employer's company letterhead. Hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way to get caught, first of all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, we, ha- we finally had one where an inventor parent uh, was a true fact. Wow. Well, 
that that puts me at a disadvantage right now. We're we're two and one against me, and we're going into our fourth, you know, classic four factor spin, and we're bringing up a classic factor spin legend. Uh uh-uh. uh I don't know if that, that might have been too much hype for who this is. I don't know, but <laughs> oh, okay. Who's who's our factor spin legend? <laughs> Uh, I just wanted to, I just wanted to inform you that Charles Manson auditioned for the show. Yeah, I wouldn't call Charles Manson a factor <laughs> spin legend. No, but this is he is a recurring member of the game show. I guess he's come up twice now outside of this. I think this is the third time, yeah. Well he came up with the with the Beach Boys. With the Beach Boys, and I'm fairly certain he's come up as like a roommate situation somewhere. Well that's the beach that's Oh, sorry. No, he's come up he's definitely come up another time. He was in prison and Folsom. That's when he came up. Johnny Cash. That's what, yep, yep, there you go. So Johnny Cash and the Beach Boys, and now the Monkees. So so does (laughs) does he act? How old was Charles Manson in in 1965? 1934. Whatever, 1965 minus 1934. Okay, I'll get the squirrels on that. (laughs) And yes, he... he, 31? uh, Yeah, he was 31. There's... Sure. So the studio puts out this casting call and says, hey, we're looking for some young heartthrob mop top goofballs to play music play is in quotation marks to pantomime playing music and scruffy murderous charles manson rolls on up at 31 and says hey well he wasn't he wasn't scruffy and murderous at the time probably i mean who's to say who's to say i guess so that already um, that's already a a bit of a red flag for me what's his audition process look like did he prepare a song did he come in and act any i don't know okay we'll have a ton of information about this. Just that he he was there and did it. Just that he uh, auditioned and obviously did not get any of the parts. No, can you imagine? I can't. I hesitate with this one because it seems like a really bizarre spin, and I've missed two already. I think this is false. <laughs> going with spin. I'm going with spin. He was. That means I would have done three facts and a spin this week. It does mean that. Well, you you've been on a spin tear. I mean, the last two episodes were all spins. It's true. And this one has been all facts so far. I think this is a spin. I, I just don't see Charles Manson. Oh, the spin. Locking it in. He seems too old and out of the casting call demographic. I think this is fake. Also, I don't know that he played any instruments. But yeah, I'm locking in that this is fake. You got your 50-50. This oh. is a spin. Thank but goodness. it maybe got some of our listeners, if we have any Monkees fans out there, because this was a well-known rumor. Really? Yeah, that's how I found it. Charles Manson auditioning for the show was a, a myth that was going around about the show. Who started that myth? I don't know. It actually was impossible because he was serving a sentence in a federal prison at the time. Perhaps uh, <laughs> Folsom. And so, so yeah. So he was, he, he, if he was already in a federal prison, yes, he was already scruffy and murderous at the time of audition. <laughs> well, I didn't want to, I didn't want to give that away. <laughs> he just, you know, shows up ready to kill. <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, okay. That was a good round of factor spin. Wow, I love it when bands are banned from places. I've had a lot of fun with those facts. When their parents are inventors. But actually, we did have they, a lot of... When they just have giant monkey boxes. The monkey to... box was cool. That's that's what a fact. And of course, our factor spin legend. Yeah, 
<laughs> I don't know. He 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 was there. That's what we'll say. He might not be a legend, yeah. but he, boy was he here. And until next time, Charles Manson. Charles Manson will return. <laughs> this isn't an Avengers movie. <laughs> no, it seems to be though for the for the mixtaper. Sometimes seems like he's got some things to avenge. And speaking of people who have things to avenge, let's get Connor on back out here. This is his year of vengeance or whatever he's calling it. It's weird that you don't know. Yes, let's get Connor on back. Mixtaper, thanks for another exciting week. We'll see you next time. Yeah. Hello. It's me. Who, who is it? Sorry. Oh, uh, this time it's Connor. Okay, gotcha. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> Sometimes when you switch microphones like that, you, you you know you trade places, and I have trouble following who's who. Yeah. Sometimes he makes his voice sound a lot like yours. Let's talk about briefly the cover art for the more monkeys. of the monkeys, and then more of them, and then more of more of the monkeys. Yes. The cover art, like I mentioned for a quick second in the, in the intro there, it was made without their knowledge. It was taken from a promo shoot they did for JCPenney, a nice little clothing ad that got converted into an album cover. Nice. Yeah, what do you think? Would you buy any of their clothes? Do they sell it? No. No? Well, I guess if it was specifically their clothes. Oh, right. <laughs> it, it increases in value. <laughs> yeah. I'd buy his belt. His belt? Look at Michael Nesma's belt. Is that not a great... Which one's Michael Nesman? He's on the left. The giant belt there. On the left. That's a cool belt. What about the shoes on the, yeah, on the right? Is that a trick question? I don't know. Is it? Are you looking at the album cover? I don't know, am I? It sounds to me like you're not. Hang on, wait a second. Oh, oh, wait, sorry. Wrong image. <laughs> yeah. That was... <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. I do like that belt. Okay. I do what like the belt. What on earth were you okay. looking at? What? The, the um, photo for the song She. Oh. I, for, I forgot to scroll back down. <laughs> from where I pulled up the lyrics. Yeah, okay. That's different. <laughs> the single cover. Versus, he does have cool shoes in that one. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, no, I think you I think you nailed it. Pretty much just the belt. It's just that's it's an ad for the one belt. <laughs> Pretty nice tree in the background. Also, JC Penny, what's up? Why is this the ad you chose? It is weird. It it a little bit it reminds me of something like the Beatles rubber soul, where they're just all standing there and kind of at a weird upward looking angle. It's yes, kind of I I get that reference. Yeah. Definitely. My point is, totally got it. I'm just saying, if you're going to consider them a Beatles clone, the evidence is there. The other thing it reminds me of is the Inner Wave Apoptosis album cover. Now that reference I do get. Yeah, well, just it had trees and it, the color scheme was the similar kind of yellow and green. Hang on, if we're and if we're if the if the qualifier is has trees, I think Business Sheep should be in the running. Okay. You're right, it is also kind of like that. If you combine <laughs> the head and the heart with apoptosis, this is about what it looks you like. You get the monkeys. Yeah. <laughs> That's the math. Squirrels are nodding. This is a very 1967 album cover, and it doesn't do anything specific for me. It just is. It's just more of the monkeys. What do you think about the color frame around the photo? I don't know. Honestly, it feels a little lazy. I know... 1967 it wasn't exactly the pinnacle of graphic design the color feels lazy just the concept of having a frame around it like that it's so thick oh, okay i don't i didn't ask what your opinion was of the frame i asked about the color oh it's fine it's yellow it's like a puke yellowy green i don't even know i don't like well it. puke yellowy green is a color yeah not my not, not my not style. your aesthetic so don't get the belt in puke yellowy green <laughs> i'd actually kind of i think i'd wear a puke yellowy green belt i think, I think i'd do Why? that I'm going to put you to the test on that. That's probably more attention than this album cover's ever gotten in its life. Let's jump into the first song on the album, She. Told me that she loved me. Yeah, and like uh, a fool. And like a fool, I believed her from the start. Yeah. 
she said just stop me whenever you're, you want me to stop <laughs> i wanted you to stop before you started <laughs> she is honestly i consider it one of the top songs on the album that we start off with right off the bat i mean it, it's a good intro i like that uh guitar riff that kicks it off before it gets into the boom 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 yeah that is nice ultimately i think it's just one of the easier ones to to sing along with this is one that's catchier yeah. and sticks in your head more it feels more polished as well than some of the other songs that we get later. That's a great word. Yes, it is definitely cleaner. And in that regard, I guess it's one of the better ones to start the album off with because you don't start off with a bad taste in your mouth. If, if puke yellowish green, if that didn't start you with a bad taste, at least she will keep you from it. She breaks his heart, right? That's the she. Not only that, she devoured all of his sweet love. That she did, yeah. And she only did me wrong. Which I think is kind of a hilarious line. I don't know. Like, to only do someone wrong? Hello? Sorry, just trying to give you some background, uh, like they did in the song. That's very much what they do. You know, they'd say she and hold it out while the other people sang the rest of the line. I mean, I like can it. you blame them, though? All they get to do on this album is sing, so might as well do yeah, it as well. much as you can. Fair enough. I do, I do like the concept, too, how this person seems to treat our protagonist so poorly and only keeps him around so she, quote, doesn't touch the ground. Like she's stepping all over him. And he doesn't learn from it. No. The song ends with, I should be kissing her. It's like, no, you should be moving you should on. not, monkey. Bad. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. There's not a lesson learned in she. I'm disappointed we haven't made any uh, monkeys jumping on the bed references. I feel like mostly that's your fault. It kind of is. Yeah, I, I feel like I let the audience down on that one. I feel free to begin now. Okay. Okay, I guess that I'm just walking through a minefield now. <laughs> I never know when I'm going to step on a, on a monkey's on the bed joke. Track two is up next, predictably placed right after track one. That's when love comes knocking, parentheses, at your door. Love, never mind that. Too soon, too soon. Hold it in. Hold it in, Connor. Wait, control yourself. I was going to say love was the name of the doctor. <laughs> what? Well, you know, the doctor has to come and tell Mama Monkey to stop letting her kids jump on the bed every time one gets hurt. Oh, my gosh. I see. No, you know, they say Mama called the doctor. I assume the doctor came and checked out the monkey, didn't just do it over the phone. It'd be a bad doctor. Telehealth is a whole thing now. I'm. It actually probably wasn't very established back when that song started existing. The whole idea of this song is that when love comes knocking at your door, simply open up and let him in. Maybe it's she ready to kiss you. Like you but wanted. you shouldn't kiss. That's the whole point of the last song. Well, no, that's what yeah. we think the whole point of the last song should be. Honestly, when love comes knocking at your door is kind of a predictable lyrical song. It's a little basic, right? Yeah. We know every sentiment that's coming, but it's spiced up a little bit, a little tiny, tiny bit. With this, like, disjointed imagery of a magic carpet ride and rainbows and breaking free of chains. And that also feels pretty intense, right? All of a sudden, we're just locked up in chains, imprisoned. Yeah. It's a little... It's what happens when you don't learn your lesson. Yes, it's a stark contrast to the um, to the rainbows of the verse before. Maybe they were channeling actual monkeys. I really like the way they sang this one. Uh, the the, the kind of lyrical cadence of when love comes knocking at your door, the way they, they start into the song. That's true. Honestly, it's a more fun song to listen to than she. Yeah. Fun is a good word for it. Yes. Uh, fun, yet predictable, and a little basic. But I love the ringing sound on that guitar, which again, it feels weird to praise the instruments that they didn't do, <laughs> but it's there and it sounds nice. It's a short little song too. At only a minute and 48 seconds, 
it's one of the shortest proper songs that we've talked about so far. Yeah. I don't have anything else on it. Yeah, I think that's it for me, too. <laughs> yeah, it's a short song, short and sweet, keeping it straight to the point. The next song, though, is one of the Monkees' bigger and more popular songs. That's Mary Mary. Christmas, Christmas. No, yeah, that's not... It's a, that's a different Mary. Mary, like, the name. Is Mary short for something? Oh, no, no. I just don't know. That was a loaded question to ask me. Oh, it's, of course, it's short for Maria, which isn't actually that long. It's, like, one letter longer. No, and the same number of syllables? Yeah, what's the point? It's not the same number of syllables. Oh, no, it's three. You're right. I guess it does shorten it a little bit. No, to your point, yeah, it is a little shorter. Yeah, a little shorter. Maria Maria. I was trying to come up with a really ridiculous name for it to be short for, and then you went and ruined it by looking it up. Sorry. Mary Mary actually was written by Michael Nesmith, but the first recorded version belongs to the Paul Butterfield Blues Band, who put out their own version in 1966. They had their own Mary Mary Christmas Christmas. Right. Unlike Tom York's Goldfish Goldfish. (laughs) What do you think of Mary Mary? I like Mary Mary. Honestly... It was a grower. I didn't love it at first. It felt a Mm -hmm. little bit droney and annoying, but it did get better over the course of the month that I listened to it. And yeah, I think that was the case for a lot of people because like I said, it was one of their bigger hits. They used this song a whopping five times in the first season of their show alone. So it's safe to say that a lot of people pretty much were in on it didn't have a very uh high songwriting budget for that first season i guess not actually (laughs) the episode of the monkeys that i watched was one where the record producer had like purchased a tape recorder or like rented one and when he rented it it had a tape in it already but the song that was on that cassette tape that he accidentally rented was mary mary and he heard it and he was like i gotta find this band and then he you know went on this whole quest to get in touch with the band who subsequently was on a quest to get in touch with him. And then at the end of the day, he decided he didn't want the band after all and hired his secretary instead. Dang. Yeah. Yeah. I, I told you the monkeys just have no luck. It's always like that. So, it's always something for them. That's why they got 50 episodes into the show. <laughs> Can you imagine? You know, if like a couple episodes in, it just ended, like they just succeeded. It's true. For this one, there was the instruments really that I really liked. The lyrics were all right. The lyrics are a little bit of a red flag, honestly. It's yeah. a little bit of like a, yeah. like a begging love song. He goes, oh, this I'd value. I'd rather die than live without you. But the problem is, that's not reciprocated. Mary's like leaving, and it doesn't sound like she's coming back. You know, he's like persistent to a concerning degree. Like, it doesn't matter where you go. I'll follow you till I win your love back. Like, he actively admits, like, I know you don't yeah. love me, but I'm coming. I'm coming with you. I'd rather die. Like, settle down. <laughs> I mean, in the bridge, he literally says, I've done more now than a clear-thinking man would do. Like, we already know he's not thinking clearly. He knows he's not thinking clearly. Yikes. Yeah. Also, they're rhyming. I mean, come on. Verse 1, rhyming 2 with 2 and yo with ya. (laughs) Okay, but again, though, the rhyme comes with vow and without. (laughs) I can't say anything for 2 and 2. It's ya and ya. Ya and ya. Okay. That ya ya rhyme. (laughs) Of course. I would put Mary Mary in my top three for this album. Really? I think I would. Too bad you don't get a top three. I, too bad I don't. Yeah. Sorry that that statement meant nothing. <laughs> Up next, though, 
is track number four, Hold On Girl. And that one almost feels like a follow-up to me, you know? Hey, that last dude was a jerk, so hold on, girl, till I get there, and then the sun will shine again and we'll make things right. Or is it just him becoming a little less creepy with his bleeding? Like, hold on, don't leave, the sun will shine. Well, because it's not about don't leave. I mean, it's be a little bit stronger, wait a little bit longer. I'm coming yeah, to help you. wait a little bit longer before leaving me. Hmm. Okay, I know you feel as though your world is at an end. That's a pretty... Because I'm your world. <laughs> yeah, is that it? It's a little... <laughs> still a little creepy from that angle. It does sound like, though, this this gentleman is actually successful in getting the girl. Based on, now that we're together, things are going to get better. It sounds like he's succeeded where creepy Mary Mary guy has failed. It's a pretty good change, honestly, lyrically, to be, you know, coming off of these three songs that are all kind of a little sad, right? Oh, she only did me wrong and she walked all over me. And then when love comes knocking at your door, it's just like, dang, sorry, you don't love anybody yet. And then Mary Mary is, she left me and I'd rather be dead. And now we finally get one that's like, okay, things are looking up. I just didn't care for the uh, chorus. Like, I was really into that first verse. And then the chorus just kind of ruined it for me. Yeah, that's understandable. It's a little soft. It just didn't do what, I wa- what the first verse set it up to do. Yeah, it doesn't have much of a sting to it. It's a little too yeah. floaty for my tastes. Especially for what the first verse did. Yeah. And another reference that you don't understand to the exact same album I talked about with the cover art, this song almost sounds like it would be right at home on Rubber Soul in a certain sense. It sounds like they're trying to emulate that Beatles style definitely from the that reference. 60s. 100%. Great. I'm glad. All about the reference. Exactly what it meant. Yeah. I, what I will say, though, I do think the A-B rhyme scheme serves this song really well. The A-B-A-B. Yeah, except he rhymes bad, sad, and then away with... Away and way is terrible, verse. yes. However, I, I just like the format. And bad and sad is pretty basic. You know, we're we're hitting take notes territory. Yeah, we are a little bit. This is 1967. I have to cut some... Yeah, words existed back then. Words did exist in 1967. Good <laughs> job. Get yourself a treat. Thanks. I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> now that he's gone, I can say. Um, I don't have anything to say behind his back. Oh, well. I guess we should just move on to the next song then. He'll, he'll jump in when he gets back with his little treat for doing so good at knowing when words were. Up next, track number five is your Auntie Griselda. Anybody out there, anybody listening, have an Auntie Griselda? Because I know I don't. All right, I'm back. Boy, am I ready to keep talking about Hold On, Girl. Oh, well, I hope you're sitting down. Here's the thing. I always record this podcast from a planking position. Is that why your audio is always so weird? I hope you're (laughs) planking because I actually moved into the next track. Your Auntie Griselda while you were gone. If you have final thoughts about Hold On Girl. Your day of reckoning will come this year. The year of redemption. Of course. That is that is what you've told me. You're sounding pretty rude right now. Just like Auntie Griselda. Auntie Griselda is rude. Like what a jerk, right? <laughs> this song was also a repeat and a favorite on the show. And it was recorded entirely in one take. Which I do, I do love oh. a good one take song. Peter Tork is actually the one who sings the lead vocal on this track track and it's the very first time that he had done so and in my own words i said this is a sick diss track about someone's judgy aunt griselda she's a self-righteous fudge making tea drinking b-word who can't crack a smile for free and upon which no bird of grace ever alit what a scathing lyric what does that mean just that last line i'm all for about having the fit and everything but no bird of grace ever lit on auntie griselda what is what is, what is how do birds lit 
And is it only the graceful ones that can do so? No, no, birds alight. Like, they alight on things, where they, they land gently on something. Uh, the word alight has two distinct meanings. It can mean coming down or settling in a delicate manner, such as a bird perching, or it can be rather poetic to describe something that's on fire. Ah, so no bird ever caught on fire. On, no bird. <laughs> no, Auntie Griselda does not have any... <laughs> flaming birds on her shoulder i don't i don't think a bird of grace has ever alit on me it's probably good it's not that good i don't want to be lumped in with judgy aunt griselda this is a song that just makes me go what it doesn't feel like it belongs on this album or in existence it doesn't belong yeah there you go i was gonna say it doesn't sound like it belongs at all yeah i i don't i don't know it just is here oddly and it's it juts out all strange it's not a love song like every other song on this album. It just is bizarre. It's kind of a love song. I do go on. In the sense that like he it's coming from like the lover's point of view being like your auntie doesn't like me. That's true. Like I I want your family to like me. You no, know, so it's like it's still like in the realm of like lovers and things, but like definitely on the outer edge of it here i've got some fun facts that i've just looked up oh boy and this is ridiculous let me just tell you why what were they thinking with this song griselda is the thirty thousand two hundred ninety second most popular name of all time nice. Thirty thousand from 1880 to 2020 the social security administration has recorded 171 babies born with the first name griselda that's ridiculous. It sounds like someone... It's very targeted. <laughs> so targeted. There's only 171 people that it could be about. The highest recorded use of the first name Griselda was in 1976 when 14 babies were born with that name. Yeah? Yeah. I wonder if any of the monkeys are named Griselda. One of the facts, it says there's 171 babies born with the name Griselda, and it says... That's more than enough people named Griselda to occupy the territory of the Pitcairn Islands, United Kingdom, with an estimated population of 66. Like, no, duh. Nailed Why are it. we talking about this? How's that relevant to anything? It's a fun fact. There's enough Griseldas in the world to occupy a territory. Sure, a small territory. There's enough Griseldas in the room to eat at my local Arby's. What? Maybe it's a really big Arby's. I don't know. Anyway, we've talked about the name Griselda for too long. Anyway, Griselda's a jerk and probably doesn't deserve our attention. Sorry, no offense, Griselda's, if you're listening. The monkeys probably didn't write this. There's a 1 in 171 chance that this song is about you. Otherwise, you're fine and we love you. Otherwise, you're not our stepping stone. If you are concerned that you may be this Griselda, just get a bird of grace to alight on you and you will be fine. And you'll, be, you'll know you're good. You will know you're you'll not that Griselda. You'll have a bird Griselda. light itself on fire when it touches you. <laughs> Combust. <laughs> i'm not your stepping stone is the next song pretty simple again really par for the course here two verses of substance and then i'm not your stepping stone right it's that chorus that we just returned to and returned to i yeah i don't have a lot to say about this one even though it's one of their more popular ones on spotify is it really yeah actually it's the most popular one except for i'm a believer that is a little surprising. I'll be honest. I probably has something to do with the. It was probably used in something that we're not aware of, and therefore a lot of people like looked it up. Mm, that may be, yeah. Because it has an abnor- an, an, a very abnormal amount compared to the rest of the album. It's very lopsided. Yeah, the the highest song next to this is like, well, she has three million. Mary Mary has two million, and then this has eleven million. That's bizarre. I have a feeling. I have a feeling it was like used in some sort of pop culture thing. Yeah. Who knows? It's a song, you know, she's taking advantage of him yet again. It's almost like the girl in She. 
when he met her, she was down on her luck. And now, you know, she's not down on her luck anymore. She's got her sights set on high fashion. And he wants out. He wants nothing to do with that. Which is a very specific thing to have a gripe about, isn't it? I mean, the, the cover of this album is a clothing ad. So, you know, I guess it is an interesting concept to be the stepping stone for someone who's trying to move up. Like, I won't allow myself to be a tool that you just use to further your ambition. But... They don't really say much about it, except for, I'm not your stepping stone, and stop doing what you're doing. Uh, they say, I, 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 Not your stepping stone. <laughs> it really sounds like they're being stepped on, you know, and they're kind of like bouncing in the, in the like water. Like a monkey on a bed. Oh. Let's see, I did it that time. <laughs> no, I'm just imagining a monkey jumping on the bed. Going, I, I, I. Now it sounds like Crazy Train. <laughs> I think the song is is one of the more sing-alongable songs, and that's probably why it is more popular and has more of a following, more of a mainstay in the catalog. But could be rabbit, could be. It could be. Look out! Look out! Why? What? We have the next track coming in. Oh, look out! Here comes the next track. Look out! Here yeah. comes tomorrow. Oh, we're not doing the next track till tomorrow. No, 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 no. We're All doing right. the next track today. Oh, Please. oh, oh. <laughs> if you insist. <laughs> the first note I made about this track was. Uh, there are a lot of songs about shoes on this album. Hmm. Very interesting. There are? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we just talked about high fashion in the last one and not being oh, a yeah, stepping stone. And and now this one is all about borrowing someone else's shoes. It's not all about that, but that's a part of it. Mary's back. This is, yeah, another girl named Mary and a girl named Sandra. Scandalous. Ooh, Ooh I know. Bum. I know. He loves them both. And a girl named Strawberry Pie. That, oh, wait, no, no. No. That one's not quite right. <laughs> I'm going to name my kid Strawberry Pie. <laughs> Strawberry Pie Griselda, last name. <laughs> it sounds nice. Yeah. Quaint. Thanks for picking my, my child's middle name. You're welcome. Me, Anytime. Anyway, the point of the song is that, that he loves both. And tomorrow is the day he'll have to make a decision. For some reason, he hasn't already made that decision, and he's leading them both on. Sandra, or do you go with the strawberry pie? I would go, honestly. No offense, Sandra. I'm taking the pie. I mean, how often do you come across a good strawberry pie? It's rare now that McDonald's doesn't have them. Yeah. Not a sponsor. Could be. Could be. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We're spinning it. <laughs> they would never. We're already going to get sued for that. <laughs> it's so such a weird song, you know? It, like... Yeah. Why have you put yourself in this position? Why have you led these women on like this? Because he's not their stepping stone, all right? No, but that's him leaving. That's him doing not this. If anything, he's he's sheing both of these girls, where he's just following them wherever they go, and he can't make up his mind about them. Yeah. So he doesn't know which one to stalk. Does he keep stalking Mary? Does he change to Sandra? Does he just give up and go home and eat some strawberry pie? That's what I'd do. The, like, why, why do we... I want some strawberry pie now. I'll be back. We just had a treat. Why do we start the chorus off with, I see all kinds of sorrow? Like, I guess, I don't know. Don't you see all kinds of happiness with the one that you are choosing? If you're regretting not picking one of them that much, you probably shouldn't take either of them. But what do I know? And, you know, we go through this little <laughs> bit in the, I guess you could kind of call it a bridge, where he, he tries out both of them, right? Tries them on for size. He says, Mary, I love you. Sandra, I love you. And then we end the song with a very ambiguous darling i love you so we never actually even get the satisfaction of knowing who he picks it's a little sad if you ask me i think it was the strawberry pie maybe yeah strawberry pie i love you darling <laughs> yeah i think you're right <laughs> yeah 
Like, it's pretty obvious what the right choice was. Yeah, well, congratulations, monkeys. You made the right choice. Thank you. Oh. You made the right choice, too, in choosing what choice the monkeys should have made. Strawberry pie is the kind of girl that I could love. <laughs> so she is. <laughs> I, The kind of girl I could love is another song that just is a little bit off the mark for me. He describes this kind of girl that he could love, and to be quite honest, he's just not very specific. You know, I get that you're maybe shooting for that mass appeal. Like, you don't want to say, oh, I could only love a blonde girl and then alienate, like, all the brunettes that are listening to your music or whatever. But, like, the characteristics of this girl that he could love, okay? Let's go through the characteristics that this song lists, okay? Okay. She looks good. She has eyes. Sweetest pair of eyes. Well, that's true. The sweetest pair of eyes. She can kiss. And she does something to his soul. That's it. Those are the qualifiers. (laughs) To be the kind of girl he could love. And I'm telling you, all of those qualifiers, strawberry pie. Strawberries are sweet. They, no, but eyes. The strawberry pie yeah, does not have... The little, the little seeds in the strawberry look kind of like eyes. You can't spell pie without eye. I just, I don't know. I think the brush stroke on this song is a little too wide. I, I would love it if they yeah. reined it in a little more. And just, like, said something of substance. You know, I like smart girls. Or, you know, give us give, give something. Something, yeah. No, but eyes, kiss, good looking. Up next is an, another really unconventional song on this album because it's less of a song and more of like spoken verse set to music. Ugh. Ugh. Ugh, this one. This one's kind of a, almost a ballad if a ballad was spoken. Yeah, almost a ballad, but just enough not to ruin it. Ruin it? Wow. Yeah, I, 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 I didn't sign up for slam poetry. This does not slam. Don't worry. That's the last thing this song does. You're right. I can't even pull that off. Dang. Sick burn. Sick burn. <laughs> Not as sick as Anti- saying a, a bird won't burn when it touches you. Right. Well, there are still birds, though, in this song. We we bring the birds back. They're singing everywhere, except on Anti Griselda's shoulder. And, <laughs> you know, this song is so descriptive. Unlike the other song that had virtually no descriptors of the kind of girl he could love, this song really goes out of its way to mirror the beauty of falling in love with natural imagery, like the wind and rainbows again. You know, the last song was probably so vague because he got so specific on the one before that, you know, really singling out the Marys and the... And the Sandras. And the Sandras, yeah. so they had to widen the scope back out to include everybody so else. you didn't feel left out. All the Griseldas didn't feel slighted. <laughs> All 147 of them or whatever it was. Yeah. This song also tries to take a very weird scope, too. I mean, it's descriptive and specific, sure. But in snow or in sand, whether roses are blooming or snowmen stand by, time will stop. Like, that kind of, to me, it does a little bit of a job of paralleling in sickness and in health and the idea of, like, good times and bad. But snowmen? You want to, you wanna like, this is a sweet song and you're talking about standing around a bunch of snowmen? I don't know. It just didn't really fit the vibe. Well, it just kind of compares summer to winter, When the right? snowmen bloom like the roses, yeah. Just being like, well, it says in snow or in sand. Yeah. And so, like, tropical, you know, that, that's kind of got your summer beach vibe versus your winter. And then same thing with roses and snowmen. It's true. I just, snowmen was a strikingly unnatural image in this song of nature. And they both kind of work with the next line of time will stop for you and I because, you know, roses eventually wither, snowmen eventually melt. But not for us. Mm, that's true. They'll be stuck amongst the snowmen forever. Yeah. <laughs> well, that got that became nightmare fuel very fast. <laughs> I do think they redeem it with that last verse a little bit. That you know, 
maybe if I'm not expressing it clearly, you'll still be able to feel the emotions I'm expressing because it comes from my heart. That's nice. But the rest of the song, on a scale of take it or leave it, it's a little bit more on the leave it side. I'm interested to know what you think about Sometime in the Morning. Mm, I bet you are. I think lyrically, Sometime in the Morning is one of this album's stronger moments. I agree. Yeah, yeah. It's a third person describing what someone might experience when they spend time with this lover of theirs. And to me, it kind of felt like an ex giving that advice to a current partner. Like, hey, this is how I experienced this. This is how this person made me feel. And someday, sometime in the morning, you might feel the same way. Mm -hmm. It reminded me a little bit, I'll be honest, of that episode of How I Met Your Mother where Barney starts dating Robin and Ted gives him the class on how to deal with her. He's like, sometime <laughs> yeah. in the morning, she may wake up mad and you'll do this and that. It's kind of the same idea. It's pretty good. I just like this one a lot. One, um, like I said, the lyrics, I think one of the best. But um, I really like the the vocal melody as well, the, the way in which they choose to sing it. And it does what I wanted. I think it was, was, was a Mary Mary or which song was hold on girl. I forget which song it was that I was disappointed that it didn't build the way I wanted. That was it hold to. on girl. I think. Yeah. Hold on girl. This one, it does. It builds you up through that beginning verse. And then when they hit the, your love has shown me things, it does. It picks up the tempo and kind of swells there momentarily, just like I wanted it to. And I was like, finally, you did it right. <laughs> you got him. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this is a stronger song, and it maybe wouldn't it be close to my top three if I had a top three. If you had one, but you don't. You do, though, so... Uh, I sure do. Wink, wink. We'll see if it comes back. If it doesn't come back, I wouldn't be surprised. But if it does come back, I also wouldn't be surprised. There's no way this song could surprise me. There's a weird part at the end of the first verse in this song where the speaker starts saying, I this and I that. And that, I don't know what happens there, but that feels weird to me. Because he says, now I know you're where it is for me. But he's not talking to the girl. He's talking to the lover of the see, I like that part. But what is it? There's a perspective shift in there I'm not getting. The only way I can make it make sense in my head is if he's listing off all the things that you'll tell her that you never did tell her. Like, your love has shown me things. You'll tell her, I thought I could see. You'll tell her, now I know. You know what I mean? That's the only way that that makes sense from the perspective shift. Um, yeah, that's absolutely what it is. So it's to be all the things that you're going to tell her when when you're holding her. Mm, well, it was unclear. Uh, B minus on that particular part. Fair enough. Up next, the funniest song on the album. And that is certainly a distinction. It's laugh. Ha ha. Ah. Thank you. Now we can talk about the song. The idea behind this one is that everyone is just frowning and so, so, so sad. So the monkeys are pointing out all of the reasons that we have to laugh. Oh my gosh. Is that first verse uh, a chore to get through? It's only four short lines, but yes. But they drag it out for so long. Every face, pause forever. That I see, pause forever. It's all rap. It's... And the one line is just, and unfortunately, and it takes them forever because of how long the word unfortunately so is. <laughs> They're just like, and unfort, pause forever. Tune at Lee. It's so bad. <laughs> it's so bad. I hate it. It uh, Does it make you laugh? Uh, In like a, my soul is being sucked out of my body kind of way, sure. Wow, that's not, that's, <laughs> sounds like you'd still be wrapped up in a frown. I think that would still <sighs> not help the monkeys at all. Some of the stuff is shared earnestly, right? Laugh because the music is funny and out of time and because it's offbeat and stuff. Some of it, though, is a little more tongue-in-cheek, like laugh because you're flat broke 
or because you don't have shoes. More shoes? Again, more more shoes. shoes. Come on, guys. (laughs) We can't get away from the shoes. It's funny that you mentioned them on the album cover, now that I'm thinking about it. (laughs) There's shoes all over this album. Except the album cover. Yeah, where you said there were shoes. I knew. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that they have to tell you what shoes are for. Yeah, just in case you've never seen one before. Yeah, in case the concept of not being able to find your shoes wasn't clear enough, they had to really spell it out for you that you needed to find them to cover your feet. If your feet are uncovered, it's pretty funny. Pretty funny stuff, especially if you got funny feet. Yeah. Did this song actually make you laugh? Because I've kind of got questions for you, if that's the case. Because it's not really a funny song. No, it's not. There's not many songs, I think, that are like not meant to be like comedic songs that make you laugh. It's true. And laugh is not one of them. Unless it, la- it makes you laugh in a soul being sucked out of your body kind of way. Yeah, dang, soul-sucking laughs. Dang. <laughs> yeah, those, those are the worst. <laughs> I did actually chuckle when we hit the next song, though. <laughs> you did, yeah. I can believe it. There's just something about hearing that opening riff that just makes you smile, especially if you've, you've seen Shrek. Yes. That's when I, earlier when you said, I haven't heard any songs on this album. Well, I'm a believer. And then I said I would have called you a liar. It's because of Shrek. It's because you've absolutely heard this song. Well, but the Shrek is the Smash Mouth version as well, so I could technically have argued I hadn't heard. That's true. Oh, man. That's the first time we've talked about Smash Mouth on the podcast. And won't be the last. Yeah, I'm a Believer was very popularly featured in Shrek. In my opinion, and I don't think this is a unique opinion, I feel like this is not a hot take, this record really, really saves the best for last, like tenfold. Uh Uh-huh, absolutely. This song was written by Neil Diamond, who's a big name that we actually haven't covered yet somehow. Heck yeah. We've talked about Neil Diamond on the podcast though, right? No. I I feel like we have. This is the first time he's come up. No way. Absolutely. Way. If anyone out there is a big fan and has listened to all 57 episodes and remembers us not talking about Neil Diamond, which is a very specific thing not to remember, let us know. Tell me I'm right. Anyway, uh, Mickey Dolan sings the vocals on this one. And this song made it all the way up to number one on the charts, unsurprisingly. What a classic. I mean, this is like the juggernaut in the monkey's entire career. It's so good. I I do have to ask which version you like better, Smash Mouth or Monkey? Absolutely the monkey's version. Ironically, the monkeys probably smashed their mouths when they fell off the bed. Oh my gosh. But anyway, you like this? You like the monkeys better, huh? I I do, yeah. Interesting. Do you not? I think I agree and disagree. Okay, I don't know how to take that. Well, first off, I grew up with Smash Mouth version as someone who watched Shrek in my childhood, unlike you. Right. I've seen it now, don't worry. But secondly, I think I like the verses in the monkeys version better, but I, there's something about the way Smash Mouth does the chorus. Oh. That's just awesome. So what if we put them together and made the ultimate I'm a believer? That's kind of what I was saying. Like, if, if the monkeys went a little harder on the chorus, but kept it the same as what they're doing now on the verses, it'd be perfect. Mm, interesting. I'm just, and again, that could just be personal bias from having grown up with the more rock and roll choruses as a child. But there's something about the uh, way that they hit, just really launch into that chorus. Yeah, true, but there's something classic and timeless about that organ, that electric keyboard. Oh, yeah, yeah, the, the electric keyboard and the organ, it's great. It's just, I really wish, you know, you, you get the, when I need sunshine, I got rain, and then... Then I saw her face, you know, just really hit it <laughs> that the monkeys don't do. Yeah, absolutely. You know how we mentioned that I'm Not Your Stepping Stone has a bizarrely high 
almost 12 million Spotify plays compared to everything else on this album. <laughs> I'm a Believer has more than 305,595,000 plays. It's got literally like 30 times as many plays as the next highest song the, on this album. The, the squirrels have to pass you a note there with that math? Yes, they did. I heard you pause. You heard their pause passing me the notes? I thought they were pretty <laughs> sneaky about I it. Hate that. that was too fast. I can tell them to slow down and be quieter next time. <laughs> this is a great song, and I have to point out the one of the few moments of certified poetry on this album. Love was more or less a given thing. Seemed the more I gave, the less I got. That's some good wordplay right there. It is. They use given, gave, and got all in two lines. It's great. Yeah, given, gave, got. This gets the Spin It, Given, Gave, Got award for using the most conjugations of a word in one line. I like it. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's great. Well, I guess it's time for us to monkey around into final spin this week. Only one monkey left on the bed. Kick him out of there. Knock, knock him off. Let's, uh, I always want to start with playlist picks. Can we at least do it on this album? This album feels easy to pick for the playlist. Fine. Okay. What song are you taking? Well, one of us has to take I'm a Believer because we both agreed it was the best song on the album. What if we didn't? What if we did this whole album (laughs) and then didn't take I'm a Believer? Could anyone take us seriously as a podcast? Let's just decide by committee on the second song. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good idea. Seems to be the most fair way. I feel like the problem with starting with the playlist picks is it ruins my top three. Well, reveal your top three. Fine. In album order. I mean. When Love Comes Knocking. Oh. Okay. Honorable mention to Mary Mary. Nice. Sometime in the morning, and I'm a believer. Ooh. I'm okay with that. I feel a little bit slighted on she. She was a close fifth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> close, <laughs> a close fifth, and then everything else falls off really steeply, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm more or less okay with all of those. I would, in that grouping, I would lobby for Mary Mary. Oh, okay. I would have lobbied for sometime in the morning. Well, that one's better lyrically, undeniably. Yeah, lyrically. And since the monkeys had more to do with the lyrics than the music, that's why I would go that way. Mm, Okay, well... Did I logic you into it? No, I'm going to veto them from the Rock and Roll (sighs) Hall of Fame. Well, does that mean we should veto them from our playlist? (laughs) No, only Jane can do that. We're not going to abuse our power. We're going to... I will acquiesce to sometime in the morning. I'm okay with that. But don't think you had anything to do with it. I made that decision myself. I had everything to no, do no. with it. I'm going to go get myself a treat. <laughs> That's three treats. Oh, no. It's going to be over-treated. The good news is, though, if I keep feeding him, he will keep coming back. So I have a lot of thoughts about this album. Hit me with him while I eat my peach. <laughs> a peach? Yeah, I'm in a real peach mood lately. I thought it would be a strawberry pie again. Uh, I already had one of those. Can't double strawberry pie. Oh, of course not. Diminishing returns and all that. I guess so. Well... I think this album feels woefully commercial, right? This is a hit machine record. This is a record that was meant to churn out happy little Tin Pan Alley pop songs. It's made for TV. Or did it do a bad job of it if that was its goal? Well, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It does make a lot of okay for TV songs, right? But I don't think it makes a lot of songs that are radio hits. It's commercial in that regard, that they were just trying to churn out stuff that they could that would be catchy enough to include on a television show. Yeah, absolutely. 
because I don't think a lot of these would make it necessarily on the radio. Outside of those five that you mentioned, I really don't see any of these getting a lot of radio play. Even some of those five. Yeah, I don't even see the rest of them as like B-sides to the popular singles. Honestly, I don't think they'd even perform there. It sucks, too, that they really didn't play most of the instruments. But even though that they didn't, this record feels pretty fuzzy. I mean, you talked about how she has some of the better production on the album right off the bat. And it's true, it does. But some of these other songs, just maybe it's a product of them being from the mid-60s, but I'm familiar with a lot of mid-60s music and before, and it doesn't have to sound this way. You know, this is like a, a remastered version that's on Spotify, and it still, it, it just feels dated. And the passion isn't in these songs. The instruments are, like, technically fine, but I just don't think there's a lot of heart behind it because of the session musicians and stuff. And their singing might be the one thing that they contributed to this, but even that is not always the greatest most of the time. They do a good job with harmonies, you know, and vocal dynamics are okay. But, I mean, some of these songs, they're just singing. The Day We Fell In Love is just it's just speaking. I don't know. The singing is, is kind of like a knot cherry on top of the knot cake that we had before. I think they make a pretty good TV show. I'll say that. I think they're decent enough as actors, and they're very funny. They clearly have chemistry. You know, they had to be locked in a box because they got along so well and were so rowdy. But I don't think that translates very clearly into this album, which makes it feel a little bit like a dud to me. I mean, the band did self-proclaim it probably the worst album in the history of the world. And I don't think it's the worst album in the history of the world. But I think it shows. The circumstances of this album being put out without their knowledge and their input and all the songs being recorded kind of half-heartedly with them just doing the vocals, I think that shows. And I think that album is a little worse off for it. So with that in mind, and also keeping in mind that this in no way reflects my love for I'm a Believer, which is a fantastic song, I am giving this album a 74 for music. A lot of these songs are just going to leave you immediately. You're going to listen to them and you're going to forget them if it's your first time through. Some will stick, right? But most won't. Lyrically, I'm going to give it a 70. Uh, A lot of, you know, sad, bad style rhymes. A lot of know ya and would ya, the the ya ya rhymes and Mary Mary, right? Two and two. There's just a couple moments, a lot of moments. Honestly, the lyrics are worse more than they're better. And uh, instruments of production, I'm given a 78. That's mostly just because the instruments are pretty good. Like they sound like they're playing well. The technical skill is there. But again, just sad that the monkeys didn't play them and the passion is a little lacking. And the overall vibe, mm, it's a toughie. I'm giving the overall vibe a 76. This album is okay on a consistency front, but it's just not an album that I'm going to come back to very much. I'll come back to the singles a lot. That top five, sure, add them to the rotation constantly. But the rest of them just drop off hard. So that gives the album an overall score of, drumroll please. (gasps) Thank you. 73.5. Six, which puts it... No, that's on par from what I expected. That's what you expected? Okay. That puts it on the spreadsheet, ranks it at number 512. And again... How close is that to the bottom? Um, it's decently close to the bottom. The bottom right now is 556. So you're saying that our listeners have pretty bad taste for recommending this one. They didn't recommend... Like I said <laughs> at the beginning, they did not specifically recommend this album. 
They just said talk about the monkeys. Oh, so you just said, oh, they want to do the monkeys. I'm going to pick an awful one. I picked the album with I'm a Believe. I picked the album with the biggest monkey song of all time on it. And I was honestly a little surprised how little the rest of the album pulled that weight. I mean, I'm a believer. They're saying you screwed up. I'm a believer sticks out like a 30 times sore thumb on this record, but a good sore thumb. It's a good, that's a good reason. I don't know. Fair enough. Yeah. And again, I like the TV show. That was very funny. I could get into the monkeys as a concept and I am pretty much convinced that they're not a, an exact clone of the Beatles. You know, they were clearly very heavily inspired by the Beatles, but I'll concede that they're not a Beatles clone. All right. Um, for me, I said a lot of what I already had to say. My favorite part about the album as a whole typically was the instruments, which you informed me they had nothing really to do with. Not much. Um, I'm a believer. Great song. I gave my top three incomparable mention. Well, I think I'm going to have to give this one a three. Whoa. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That's a low one for you. It maybe would go down there with Radiohead at a two. I resent that. If it wasn't for I'm a Believer, I'm a Believer pulls it up. A whole point, honestly. It should. Honestly, it's that one and Sometime in the Morning. Yeah. Both really do a lot for the, for this album score. As for a unit, I think this one's going to get three soul-sucking laughs oh. out of ten. <laughs> That's sad. <laughs> yeah, because... I understand. This this album is dated. That's the best way I could put it. Fair enough. And with that, we will uh, conclude this episode by saying, check out all of our content on social media. You can find us at Spin It Pod on Twitter and on Twitch now. We're live there sometimes. You can find us on Instagram at Spin It Pod Official. And you can find us on the web at www.spinitpod.com. We'll be back next week with another exciting album review for you. And until then, I believe you already know what to do. Keep jumping on bed. No, 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 no. No, no. Keep. What is it we do again? Spinning. We do spinning. Ha ha, yes. Keep Keep spinning. spinning! What if all the Griselda's review bombers? All 147 of them? I think we'll be all right. There's 170. That's a lot of bad reviews. Oh, oh, sorry. 170? That's more than the population of the Karen Islands. (laughs) (laughs) That was a good episode. I think I need another another treat. Honestly, go get a treat. Well, don't come back. Come back, but don't, whatever. I'll be back next week. Okay, see you next week. (laughs)